The Big Scary Show is brought to you in part by Dark Imaginings. Web design, creepy changing portraits, and much, much more. DarkImaginings.com For the deepest, darkest clues, to the backwoods swamp where we hit the bottom, to the inside of your casket, to the fears lying deep inside your subconscious, it's time for the Big Scary Show. Greetings, mortals. I am Macabre, Grazer Macabre, from Castle Blood in Manhattan, Pennsylvania, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hello, I'm John Denley, alias Professor Nightmare, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. <laughs> Hello, creeps. It's me, John Kassir, the voice of... The Crypt Keeper. <laughs> and you're listening to The Big Scary Show, the top podcast in the industry. <laughs> Hi, this is Cliff Martin from Hacker House in Tallent Mountain, North Carolina, and you're on The Big Scary Show. This is Mike Quill from Feartown Haunted House, and you are listening to The Big Scary Show. Hey everybody, Steve Schreibeis, makeup artist with the USS Nightmare, and you are listening to The Big Scary Show. This is Leo Pond from The Dorkening, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. You're listening to The Big Scary Show with three big scary men and one that wears more makeup than I do. It's time for Big Scary Show, episode 213. That's right, folks. Lucky episode number 213. And something really cool with 213? Hey, we've had a lot of things repaired with our RSS feed. So you can hear Big Scary Show in a lot more places now. You can, you know, see us listed where you'll find other great podcasts, you know, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, all that fun stuff, Stitcher, we're, we're adding things to it constantly. One of the neat things right now, you can go try this, you got a smart speaker, you can go and tell it, hey, play Big Scary Show Podcast, and you'll start hearing the Big Scary Show. So that's a fun thing to start off this episode, and boy, if we got a lot of things packed up to start kicking off your summer you know we're almost there at the actual start of summertime itself we have badger with deadline news he's going to have you some of the things happening in the industry some some you know good and bad and and things you need to know then we also have meat hook jim will be going between the corpses with scottish funeral rites yeah my ancestors what did they do to bury each other woohoo Let's not forget Jerry Vane, who's got some awesome tunes for you this episode. So, you know, wait for that to be sprinkled in. A lot of fun. Weister comes back at you. He's got part two of his Horror of It All anthology series on movies. 
so that should be awesome. Hey, I got a haunt minute. I'm going to, you know, go crazy about stuff. But, you know, it, it's it's more, you know, how some people are going to deal with COVID and already have plans to make their own Halloweens awful. So let's not have that. But the big thing, of course, is the Roundtable of Terror for this episode. And boy, do we got some fun guests for you this time. We're just stacking up the veteran haunt experience because we're having three amazing haunt operators, veterans. That's right. Ricky Dick, Cliff Martin, and John Denley are going to join us on a roundtable, rest of the hosts, and we're just going to talk haunt stuff. The, the experience of you know pretty much everybody on the panel this week it's I, I think we all at least have over 20 years each um, in, in in the haunt industry which is crazy if you think about it so some really great stories we'll even talk about you know what types of challenges are coming up for you know this season and you know some of the things that have been challenging and facing seasons past and you know where where you can go wrong with a haunt where you can go right with a haunt so Great fun, a lot of neat stuff to pick on that if you've been haunting for 20 years or, you know, this is your first year really getting into the industry. Uh, Great conversation in the Roundtable of Terror. You know, a lot of other fun, great stuff packed in for, you know, interviews, shout-outs, all kinds of cool stuff that you normally see with the Big Scary Show. And, of course, we'll have some information on the gruesome giveaway. Woohoo! So, yeah, fire up the smart speakers, check the RSS feeds that you're subscribed because it's kicking ass now. Big Scary Show, episode 213, starts now. Greetings, listeners. Meat Hook Jim here. And if I sound a little more upbeat than I normally do on my segment, that's because I've got some great news for you. As some of you know, recently we've been having issues with our iTunes feed. Well, I am happy to report that that has been resolved. And starting with episode 212, which was two weeks ago, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. And to quote Stu from Scream, but wait, there's more. That's right, there's more. We listened to you, we heard you, and now you can find Big Scary Show on more outlets. Not only are we on iTunes, but you can also find us on Google Podcasts, Google Home, Spotify, Stitcher, and for you Amazon Alexa users, if you go, Alexa, play Big Scary Show podcast, you will hear just that, the Big Scary Show podcast. We are still waiting for approval on iHeartRadio and Pandora, but this is really exciting news and we wanted to get out to you as soon as possible. So make sure everybody knows you've got many more options, not just the website, to listen to The Big Scary Show. Stay big and scary, everybody, and thanks for listening. Enter the haunted world of Fright Find and discover an environment dedicated to promoting your haunt. Target customers who will influence others on attending haunt attractions as Fright Find brings in scream seekers looking for haunted places, events, and accommodations of every sort. Various exposure options give you the ability to reach your audience throughout the year. Don't be afraid. Go to FrightFind.com now to add your haunt for free and see for yourself the difference Fright Find will make in your haunt listing. We interrupt this program to bring you the following special announcement. The world's first horror head transplant has failed, 
and five brain donors have died in the experiment. Now you can see it all at your local theater in Beast of Blood. And on the same show, Curse of the Vampires, both brand new in gory color. You'll see a mad fiend transplant human heads in the Cave of Horrors and encounter stunning, screaming, shocking terror as it lives. A monster's head detached from its body, causing savage and inhuman destruction. More fantastic than science, more shocking than fantasy, the creature without a head, controlled by an insane artificial brain, Beast of Blood. Don't miss Beast of Blood and Curse of the Vampires, both rated GP. Audio Zombie. Apparition. On the Big Scary Show.
Ohio Haunted House owners, actors, and enthusiasts. Join the new Ohio Haunters Association. We are working with haunters across the state, from home to pro, to strengthen the Ohio haunt community. Open to all owners, actors, makeup artists, prop builders, designers, and Halloween paranormal enthusiasts. The Ohio Haunters Association, where haunting is the heart of it all. Look for us on Facebook. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is time for Deadline News here on The Big Scary Show with your host, me, Drew Badger, bringing you all the latest in the haunted house, Halloween, and horror industries. Hello everyone, it's Drew Badger. This is Deadline News for episode 213. We hope you're all staying safe. Please keep washing your hands. And as we've been mentioning many times over the last few weeks during this trying time, as of the time of this recording, everything is accurate, but be sure to double check. And we're going to start off some news from Transworld's Escape Room Summit, or Room Escape Summit, I should say, in Chicago. Hello everyone! I hope that this email finds you and your family safe and well as we look forward to the full reopening of our states and the resumption of our business and leisure activities. At this time, we want to give you an update of the status of the 2020 Transworld Escape Room Summit currently scheduled to take place on August 7th through the 9th at the Donald E. Stevens Center in Rosemont. Earlier this month, under a five-phase plan for reopening the state of Illinois, the governor, blamed, or the governor banned mass gatherings until either an effective treatment or a vaccine to combat COVID-19 has been developed. Illinois guidelines make it unlikely that conventions will resume here in the summer, and we are saddened to announce that at the current time, the Room Escape Summit will be postponed until next year. 2021 dates will be announced once they are confirmed. The health and safety of our exhibitors, attendees, and staff are, the, are of the utmost importance to us. We realize this email may be reaching some of you at a critical time, and we would be remiss if we did not acknowledge the impact that this pandemic has had on the room escape and interactive entertainment industries. Many of you are navigating uncharted phases of your business that no one could have anticipated. We are dedicated to assisting, supporting, and serving your industries in any way that we can. Should you have requests or needs prior to the show, please don't hesitate to reach out. Transworld remains committed to helping you achieve success in any way that we can. Please stay safe. Sincerely, Jen Thaler. Keep up with updates at RoomEscapeSummit.com. We have a little news from Malice Manor Haunted Attraction in Clarksville, Indiana. Have you always wanted to work for a haunted house? Now is your chance. Malice Manor is preparing for its second year, and we're looking for energetic and creative actors and makeup artists. For the weekends in September and October, you must be 18 or older. Come stop by the manor and talk to us, or apply online at thathauntedplace.com. We have this update from Days of the Dead coming to Indianapolis. 
It is with great pleasure that we announce the addition of actor Hal Havens to the guest roster for Days of the Dead Indianapolis, happening July 17th through the 19th at the Marriott Center, Indianapolis. Hal Havens is best known to horror fans for the role of Stooge in the 80s cult classic Night of the Demons. He's also appeared in Sorority Babes in the Slime bowl Arama and on several episodes of Mad TV and Fear the Walking Dead. For tickets and more info for Days of the Dead Indianapolis, visit daysofthedead.com. We have this news from the Splatter House haunted attraction in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Even though the haunt has been sold and is no more, the Splatter House garage sale has been set for Saturday, June 27th. The location is 1234 Kentucky Avenue, Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Around the back of the building to the lower level loading docks from 11 a.m. until 6 p.m. This sale is for everyone, not just haunted houses. There are many items that are not specifically haunt related, but the majority of the items are. Right now, we're only planning a one-day sale, but more may be announced based on what is left after this first sale. Most items will not have prices and will be sold for the first reasonable offer. Remember, everything must go. Items with prices are not ours and are not negotiable. This only accounts for a very small portion of the sale. You can make an offer on an item to any one of our staff in hand. We'll all be wearing Splatterhouse shirts. Our staff will also be wearing masks for your safety, but no one attending is required to wear one. We will be limiting the amount of people allowed in at one time, but we'll try to keep things moving as fast as we can. 99% of what you see will be for sale, including wall panels, table shelving units, lighting, etc. If you're not sure if an item is up for sale, just ask. Some items will not be able to be picked up until after the sale. They will be available either after 6 p.m. on the day of the sale or the next day. If you buy something and need to pick it up at a later time, that'll be fine as long as it's within reason. We will also have leftover Splatterhouse t-shirts and can koozies available at the sale. These are limited in styles and sizes. We'll be doing a walkthrough video of the sale later this week and posting it on the Splatterhouse fan page on Facebook by the weekend so you can see more before you come. We hope to see everyone there. Thanks, Jim. Get more information on Facebook by searching for the official Splatter House, H-A-U-S, fan page. Hmm. We have this news from Dreadwood Farms in Patrick, South Carolina. Dreadwood Farms is a haunted village sitting atop 500 acres of untamed wilderness and we're looking for new volunteer actors of all ages. Dreadwood will be open on Saturdays the last two weekends of September, that's the 19th and the 26th, and then every weekend in October on Friday and Saturdays, we do not run on Sundays. Dreadwood will be open from 7 to 11 p.m., but all volunteers are asked to be there by 6 p.m. We are flexible with work schedules. There are multiple scenes and a bus ride that you can be stationed at. Volunteers 18 and older will need to get paperwork filled out, and it must be filled out before you can scare. Volunteers ages 16 and 17 will need signed parental permission before being allowed to scare, and volunteers ages 15 and under will either have to have a guardian over the age of 21 present to be able to scare. If you are interested or have any questions, please contact us through our Facebook page or on Instagram at Dreadwood Farms. 
We're located at 1449 Patrick Fire Tower Road in Patrick, South Carolina. You can apply and get more information at facebook.com slash Dreadwood Farms. We have this news from the Haunted Mayfield Manor in Galveston, Texas. Do you love the darker things in life? Is your family tired of you scaring them all the time? Are you looking for a creative outlet? Haunted Mayfield Manor is looking for scare actors. Duties include, but not limited to, script memorization, ability to work in a fast-paced environment, guest interaction while in character, selling tickets or products while in character, basic cleaning duties to help with the attraction upkeep, willingness to learn and apply basic special effects makeup, a willingness to perform back-to-back groups, and more. Haunted Mayfield Manor is unlike any other haunted house. We adore old-school black-and-white horror movies and thus structure our performances around that inspiration. The Manor is a historically-based, actor-driven haunt that focuses on psychological scares rather than blood, guts, and gore. For more information, visit our website at hauntedmayfieldmanor.com. And finally, we have this news from the Dent Schoolhouse in Cincinnati, Ohio. The Dent Schoolhouse is excited to announce that our business has been selected for recognition with the 2020 Best Workplace in Ohio Award presented by Ohio Business Magazine. This annual award is designed to be the premier workplace award across the state of Ohio. According to Ohio Business Magazine, quote, Our annual process, although delayed as a result of COVID-19, was undertaken over the last several months to collect nominations, which were then reviewed and approved by a committee. We experienced a significant increase in nominations this year. Your company was nominated by someone within your organization, and being selected along with roughly 75 other companies as one of the best workplaces in Ohio is an exceptional honor, unquote. The Dent Schoolhouse 1031 Productions LLC is humbled and excited to have been selected for this recognition. 2020 has been an interesting and trying year for all businesses, and we're pushing through it with all of our employees to make this fall a safe and exciting place for guests to celebrate fall and Halloween. We want to thank the continued support of our dedicated staff and leadership team who have continued to work hard through these trying times, and a big thank you goes out to Ohio Business Magazine for this esteemed recognition. Happy Halloween. We look forward to scaring Cincinnati and the rest of Ohio this year. You can get more information on the Dent Schoolhouse at FrightSite.com. And once again, congratulations. Remember, folks, if you have news in the haunted house, Halloween, or horror industries, and you want it on the show... Email it to us, news at bigscaryshow.com, and we'll get it on the show. No news is too big or too small. This concludes this edition of the Big Scary Show's Deadline News. <laughs> Greetings, Greetings listeners, listeners, and welcome. And welcome. Watch out, don't Watch trip out. over, don't that, trip torso. over that, torso. that torso. It's time. It's time. For between, for between the, the corpses. corpses.
Uh, greetings, listeners. Meat Hook Jim here. On this episode of Between the Corpses, we're going to talk about Scottish funeral rituals. Funeral rituals in the so-called Western world are pretty much the same these days, wherever one goes. Oh, there are some minor regional differences, leftover customs from long ago. But generally, their meaning is long gone, or mostly forgotten, and seldom resurrected in any way thoughtful of the original significance. A funeral in Scotland in the 21st century really differs very little than a funeral in most of the UK or the US. New laws, regulations, convenience, better health measures and standards, and their own particular resultant regulations have altered things in a mighty way. There's almost a corporate ethic to how much of it is done, presented, engineered, and built. Though I would not call it an industry, it often appears to be, it often appears to come very close. <clears throat> the ancient Celts had a very deliberate rituals regarding death. They believed the best death was one earned in combat or warfare. They knew that they would be reincarnated and the other world they went to was just a resting place till they lived again. They also believed in a cauldron of rebirth, which could revive the dead, but it seems rather to be something happening on another plane of existence, and not an actual mechanism for reviving a corpse in this world. Bodies were washed and wrapped in a burial cloth, and often as not burned, but bodies or ashes could be put into minutely measured tombs resting places. Stone chambers are simply covered with stone and or earth. Sometimes personal objects were buried with them. In later periods, women of the deceased family would still be regulated to wash the body, wrap it in burial clothes, sometimes called winding sheets, and place it in the coffin. <clears throat> Some of these very ancient customs prevail. The wake, for instance. There are differences as to the time allowed, but most corpses were laid out for several days, a maximum of seven. There is a watch by some to stay with the body 24 hours a day. Some say this was to prevent the devil or other evil spirits from taking away the soul and body. Sometimes a window would be thrown open to enable the soul to depart. People would come to give their regards to the family and to the deceased. This extended period allowed travelers to come from afar. Another reason may be that they wanted to make sure the person was actually dead, and staying with the body also gave them the opportunity to observe any possible, however faint, signs of life. There have been many occasions when somebody thought dead, but sprang back to life. People's ability to understand the conditions of dying were somewhat less scientific than today, and there are stories from today of people declared dead only to wake up. One in a funeral home was who was about to be embalmed. <clears throat> Much in food and whiskey was consumed at wakes, and in some traditions there was a set amount one could drink or was given. It was sometimes a burden for the poor to provide food and drink to all the mourners, but it was also a requirement of the funeral process. Some people helped to raise money for the poor in order to pay for the food and festivities. Dancing almost always followed at the end of the wake, a celebration of the person's life, joyful and boastful. Men often dance with men, women with women, 
but sometimes they mixed. In older traditions, the deceased was laid out with a wooden plate on his chest. On the plate were separate portions of earth and salt. The handful of earth was said to indicate that the body would be buried and return the earth from whence it came. The salt was a representation of the eternal soul. Some think that the salt was possibly meant to be a deterrent to spirits, such as sowing the earth with salt after some evil dwelling place had been burned. Sometimes they were even buried with the plate. At the end of the wake, bodies were taken by procession and then buried in a very specific place in a kirkyard. And some kirks had even more particular areas set aside for known suicides and such. There were many prohibitions about where to bury a corpse depending on how the person met his or her end. It wasn't until the 18th century that women began to appear at the actual graveside burials. Generally, they were men-only affairs, and women were kept away. Even a wife of a deceased husband would not be allowed to the gravesite as the body was buried. Those sermons from the clergy at funerals were admired and popular. A 1638 Scottish law prohibited them. Perhaps an ongoing struggle between the Catholic and Protestant churches and their respective dogma. It created a problem for the poor, as they were often seen by outsiders as being cheap and disrespectful of the dead, though it was anything but that. In the 17th century, one Englishman put down to paper his not very flattering observances of his tour of Scotland, which did include a Scottish funeral. When anyone dies, the sexton or bellman goeth about the streets, with a small bell in his hand, which he tinkleth all the way, all along as he goeth, and now and then he makes a stand, and proclaims who is dead, and invites the people to come to the funeral at such an hour. The people and minister many times accompany the corpse to the grave at the time appointed, with the bell before them, where, when, where there is nothing said but only the corpse laid in. Ringing a bell seems to have been a common element of funerals in Scotland, and the bellman was paid for his services. The funerals of Highland chiefs were notoriously conspicuous affairs. Money was spent freely, and the train of followers in procession were often enormous. Hundreds of clan folk, and others would follow the body as it was taken to be buried. The clan historian... A Shonchideth, and I'm probably butchering that, recited the genealogy of the chief at some point in the funeral proceedings, often espousing heroic exploits. Pipers played. For the more prosperous and well-known and liked chiefs, thousands might easily attend. There are stories, possibly exaggerated, about one of John Paul Jones' raids on a Scottish on Scotland during the American Revolution. Himself a Scot, Jones, a false name to hide his involvement in a crime earlier in his life, took his ship, the Ranger, to Scotland and Ireland to raid and still feared the British and try to capture a local member of the gentry to hold for ransom, to trade for captured American sailors. His raids didn't actually accomplish much though the propaganda value and fear he instilled in the British government was real. 
One tale related to these adventures was that Jones was about to land in a secluded cove in Scotland, but saw a huge mob of people moving across the landscape carrying torches. He thought that the countryside had been aroused against him. What he actually saw, they say, was not an angry mob coming to protect their land, but instead a rather large funeral procession with no knowledge of Jones and his ship and such members as to frighten the Americans away. Highland funerals for the rich got wilder and bigger as the Industrial Revolution made rich men aplenty in Scotland, and soon even lowland funerals had pipers on hand and tartans on display. Today, wakes persist, though altered to mean almost only a dinner-drinking celebration at the funeral itself. Few, if any at all, would sit up with the body of a deceased for days on end in one's home. And it seems most likely, most unlikely, health regulations and other laws of the present day would ever allow it. Processions, large and small, still do happen. Larger, more public ones often take place for those who are well-known or well-off, and for military or other services, police for instance and even still for Highland chiefs with clan members attending. And bagpipes have now become commonplace accompaniments for many funerals in Scotland and in the States, played at the gravesite, wailing sad laments for those who have passed. Yeah. Little insight into Scottish funeral customs. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you on the next episode. Want to take your haunt to a new dimension of terror? Then let Dark Imaginings conjure up some ghoulish graphics and web design services for your home, haunt, or crypt. To see more of our products and services, drop by darkimaginings.com. Let us help you get ahead of your competition. <laughs> And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Round Table of Terror for this episode 213, our favorite number. And you know, folks, you know, just we hope you're all staying safe. We hope you're practicing the social distancing. We hope you're wearing your masks now, because if you listen to our Big Scary News interview with Mr. Lobo last week, he said it best, wear your mask today so you can wear that mask in October, especially at your haunted house. But uh, speaking of haunted houses, you know, one of the uh, things I see every year as a consultant is somebody wanting to get into the business first year. Hey, is it going to be an easy thing to open a haunted house? What do I need? Well, you need a lot. As Leonard Pickle famously says, if you want to make a million dollars in this industry, you better start with two million. But um, a lot of haunted houses fail after their first few years due to various various means, none of which I'll get into right now, but there are a lot of haunts out there that have been around for 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 plus years, 
And we thought we would talk to some of these veterans of the haunted house industry that have been around at least 25 or so years because, hey, they've latched on to something that's working. And uh, whether you've been in business for one year or whether you've been in business for 20, you might learn something tonight from these folks because, you know, they've done it. I'm sure they've seen a lot. Might have some great stories to tell. We'll get into it, figure out what it takes to keep a haunted house open for 25 plus years. I want to introduce our guest tonight. First of all, up in the town of Monessen, Pennsylvania, we have a haunted house up there called Castle Blood. The owner is Ricky Dick, a.k.a. Gravely Macabre. I don't know which way to address you, but welcome to the show, sir. Oh, thank you. Well, since we're talking business, I guess Ricky is fine. Thanks. All right. Ricky is fine then. Down in the small town of Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. You may have heard of that. It's based off of something off the Andy Griffith Show. I'm sure we won't talk about that. But we have the professor himself, Cliff Martin, the owner of Hacker House, uh, personally, one of my favorite haunts in the state of North Carolina. He's been around about 25 plus years. Cliff, are you there, sir? Hey, Drew. Good to see you, buddy. How you doing? Always good to talk to you, sir. And I got to get up to your house again this year. It's been a couple of years. And good. last but certainly not least, up in Halloween Town itself, Salem, Massachusetts, we have John Denley, who does in who. In addition to running Terror on the Wharf for many, many years, also has a, I believe, year-round haunt called Witch Mansion. He's been in, he is entering, I believe, his 30th year of running haunts. John Denley, how are you, sir? Excellent. Good to have you with us. And Good let's to be talk, here. And let's introduce our regular hosts as well. Up in Rhode Island, we have Storm. Greetings from the land of clam cake and chowder, which I'm actually having right now. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Down in Cincinnati, Ohio, we have Hook Jim. I just got back from an early date with my wife at a place called Pinball Garage, and I played pinball for two hours. Are you a wizard now? Absolutely. I'm, I'm envious. <laughs> Up in Columbus, Ohio, we have the Honstrumentalist, Jerry Vane. I just got back from date night with my wife, having four Tito's Vodka and Lemonades. <laughs> nice. My name is Drew Badger. I have not been on a date in too many years. But we won't talk about that. Let's talk about haunted house longevity. Now, gentlemen, all, all three of you have been in the business 25-plus years. I'll throw the first question out. Um, one, part one, how did you get started? And part two, when you started, did you have any idea that 25, 28, 30 years later, you would still be doing this? Uh, let's, well, let's start with Ricky. Yeah. Well, um, at an age of, uh, I don't know, eight, nine, ten, the 1960s uh, monster revival started. And I got caught up into that as a kid and started making costumes and started cutting up wigs for to glue on werewolves and all that nonsense. Um, so the love of that kind of stuff started way back, you know, way, way before haunting, way before we knew of any haunts around or any of that kind of stuff. Um, and that's kind of how my, my first part of my career in life started. Uh, and then, uh, I did a couple little yard haunts, home haunty things in the 80s. 
um, and then did a couple in the nineties again. And, uh, yeah, I never, I never anticipated. I was, I was a variety arts performer, clown and magician and circus work and everything. And I never really thought that, that the haunt would end up really being the career of my life. There was no plan on that at all. Yeah. We had done pirates one year as a home haunt. And then when castle blood was, was the first year haunt, we didn't really intend on doing castle blood the second year. It was going to be like Klingons or something, you know, and, and the castle was just so successful. It's like, uh, we got to rethink this. We got to rethink it quick. <laughs> and that was in 1993 for that. So here we are. <laughs> Excellent. Cliff, how about you? How did you get started and did you anticipate doing this for so long? Um, well, I guess the, the haunting and Halloween thing started when I was a kid. We, I was lucky enough to be in a neighborhood where it was absolutely the thing to do. And, uh, Grew up stuffing myself with candy. Got hooked up with the Junior JCs back in uh, early 70s, late 60s, somewhere in there. And um, fell in love with the Haunted House, which is something that they were down as a commercial venture. And uh, got away from it for a while. Then uh, my brother and I went to a haunt and looked at each other and said, hey, we could do this. And literally, that's how it started. And... Um, uh, my brother stayed with me about five or six years and eventually got tired of it. But here I am 25 years later, still at it. Don't really know why, but it just seems like the thing. <laughs> no, I, we have a great time. We, uh, we, we have a lot of fun. I think having fun is, is the biggest part of it. Uh, having worked at your haunt one night, I have to say your people do have an incredibly fun time there. Oh, yeah. so. <laughs> we completely enjoy scaring you. Oh, yes. John, how about you with Terror on the Wharf, Witch Mansion, and all that? How did you get started, and did you anticipate doing this so long? Well, uh, well, no, I didn't anticipate doing it uh, this long, or at least not this aspect of it. Uh, to agree with Ricky, I did magic shows for kids for years, so there was always this intrigue. I was a ridiculous... Uh, I, see, I think there's a cycle that, that, uh, that you... That, like boys go through when they're young is 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 I'll, first i like dinosaurs and dinosaurs were like this big thing and then all of a sudden i'm like whoa i see dracula on television you know the original the black and white one and i'm going wow and i'm like i'm like you know look at that he can turn into a bat he can turn a puff of smoke he's way better than dinosaurs so now i wanted to be a monster and i, and I got the monster times and famous monsters and i was just so hooked and halloween I couldn't have cared less about Christmas. I mean, I, and I, I, I respect the holiday. I, I enjoy it with my family. But Halloween was one night I waited for all year long. And it finally came to be that my house, my, my, God, my, my mother, God rest her soul, uh, kids would come from other, other towns and other cities to see my house. Uh, mannequins on the roof, speakers out the window, you know, just, cr cr just you know, complete graveyard transformation and then um i started doing it in churches i said anybody that would give me a place to haunt i haunted and i opened up i dove right in opened up a giant twenty thousand square foot haunted house in a furniture building after the third year it became a success and i thought to myself why spend this much money with billboards and with all of this uh, getting the people to come to me. So I went to where the people were. I went to Salem. 
and I asked the small business committee if a haunt would ever fly there. And I was met with so much opposition that I realized I was on to something. The first year, embarrassingly enough, that I opened, I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll do like two or 3,000 people. This would be great, you know? Well, <laughs> I was begging relatives. I was calling anybody that walked by on the street that had two legs that could look like they could function, begging them to do. I couldn't handle the crowds. I had no idea what I was in for. And the next thing you know, I mean, I made it. But the next year I had the, the, the police. I had the, um, you know, the detail. I have everything worked out. And all of a sudden, some guy came through the, that season and he said, I want one of these. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I want one of these. And I said, a haunted house? And he was looking at it as a, you know, as, as a, a product. And I was like, and he talked to me and gave me his card. And he was from an amusement park. And I was like, ah, okay. Uh, so the first one I bid on, I, I lost my shirt. And then the second one, I broke even. And then I figured out a formula how to charge for the per scare foot. So I not only ran haunts, but I've spent my life building them and designing them for other people. And when I went to Transworld, I was the first haunted house vendor at Transworld that just sold haunted houses. And all of the costume people were looking at me and they felt bad for me. They were walking up going, oh, honey, you're in the wrong show. This will never catch on. And look, 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 look what happened. <laughs> you know, look how far, how many people and companies are there now. It's, it's hilarious. But it's great to watch it grow. <laughs> So with, you know, Salem, Massachusetts is known as, you know, Halloween town and, and stuff like that. You have probably the perfect location to have a haunt. But yep. uh, for Cliff and Ricky, you know, you guys live in small towns, not necessarily close to, you know, major metropolitan centers. I know Pilot Mountain's a long way from anywhere. Um, how do you guys do it? How, how do you make uh, your haunts basically a destination area? Um, well, for me, we're I'm technically in the Pittsburgh market, but Pittsburgh is not a major city anymore. Right? Don't let the Chamber of Commerce know that, but you know. <laughs> and I'm down south. If I fall, if I went any farther south away from Pittsburgh, I'd be in the West Virginia market. You know, I'm kind of in that the debatable lands in between. Um, so in Pittsburgh, we have a nice horror background with Night of the Living Dead and the <clears> zombie <throat> capital of the world and all that nonsense. Um, so there's a small core, but there's just not the amount of people. Um, I also have the, uh, the interesting thing of everybody thinks, because of being in Pittsburgh, that Halloween centers around zombies like that, or the George Romero and Tom Savini view of, of horror. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> but I wasn't interested in that. You know, I, I Again, coming from the, the performing arts and magic background like John, and and the classic monster stuff, that's what I liked. Since I didn't anticipate this being a big business to begin with, I just did what I liked and found, you know, why, why would you go up against... We have too many haunts in Pittsburgh because it's such a horror-loving place. So why would I do exactly what everybody else does that just didn't make sense to me at all? So we've never had the chainsaws, we've never had any of that kind of stuff, and we've 
we've been the the other kind and i think that's what really has sustained us and made our mark we're still the small little niche haunt after all these years but we're still going and some of the others unless they're their haunts some of the others are long gone by now so the only way we've combated it is to be uh is to be different i remember reading sam walton's book the way you beat walmart is to have a product that they can't mass produce and they can't mass produce what we do here and that's what saved us yeah i've seen i've seen the pictures and it does not look like you went and basically bought out trans world so exactly yeah there's a lot of haunts that do out there i bought out john denley's booth a lot of times but you know (laughs) (laughs) and now now that's tough stuff to get i'll tell you (laughs) cliff how about you man i've been to your place and it's not easy to get to and if it's been raining that night you don't have good good tread on your tires you might not be getting out of the parking lot well it's not that horrible we're only two miles from the interstate but that, uh, that, that last mile can get challenging. We, uh, I, I got to agree with uh, Ricky. It's, uh, we kind of went our own way early on, and it just more or less stumbled into our, our, own, our own kind of show. Uh, I knew early on that I just was not going to put the, the time and investment into trying to come up with a mega haunt. And, and honestly, that really didn't interest me as much as uh, – just the fun of scaring people. And that's really what we focused on from forever. And um, of course, we're, we're also, we also call ourselves the food stamp haunted house. So we kind of build everything here. And um, it's given us our own, our own little niche. We got, we got people coming in regularly. People come in from 7,500 miles every year. And it's just awesome. And I, and I meet most of them because I'm out front. And, um, yeah, I think it's just being, being your own voice, having your own voice. I don't know a better way to say it. Yeah, I live 115 miles from you, and I try to get, I try to get up there every, every other year at the latest. I haven't been up there since, I think, 2017, so I am way overdue. But uh, questions from the hosts? You hear the crickets? <laughs> no, no, it's just everybody trying to find their mute button. I um, can play. I can play some if you want. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the hardest things, and one of the things you know, for a haunt for any length is burnout, especially for the owners. And I've seen it with haunts after just a couple of years. And I've seen it with you know haunt owners and operators, you know, with twenty plus years experience. Uh, how do you guys personally deal? with overcoming that haunt burnout and just not walking away from it all after a, a trying season or, or an upcoming trying year, sort of like this one. Uh, Cliff, why don't we uh, go with you first? We, uh, well, in the last uh, decades or so, maybe longer, um, after our season closes, well, let me qualify that. Our, our season is really over about mid-December. Um, after our season's over, uh, we pretty much lock the doors and walk away from it for at least a month. Everybody does. And it's just, this is like our unwritten rule, just get away from it. And uh, there's a group of about 10 of us that, that hang out. We're all friends. And we start conversations in uh, January, February. And by the time Feb, uh, Transworld ro- ro- rolls around, we're all fired up, ready to go again. 
it really is just, I think for us, it's just getting away from it, turning it off, shutting it off, get, just put it down. It doesn't matter. That, I don't, that, yeah, that's how I keep going. Um, uh-huh. I, I enjoy doing it. I got props in the shop I still haven't finished from a long time ago. It's just, there's just always something unique about this business that, that keeps my interest. Awesome, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Ricky, what, what about you? How do you, uh, you know, after all these years, uh, hold off the haunt burnout? Um, I think by being true to the, the theme of the castle and the way it runs, uh, I, I'm able to do a different show every year, but I can use the same characters and the same, uh, you know, the same, uh, same set. You like to rotate things around, of course. Um, so, so while, so in some ways every year can be a different thing. Um, and we run like a community theater group here really. So we have actors that come and go. I have a whole bunch of people that have earned 20 year patches, but I also have people that are here for one or two years and then they're gone and we don't see them again. So the, the fresh blood like that is always nice and inspiring. Um, and I got to say one other thing too. I've I've managed to branch off of the haunt itself, but still be in the haunt industry. Uh, part of that thanks to John, actually, because for years I was kind of a subcontractor and crew chief, and working with his company on the, on the consulting gigs around the country, building other haunts. And uh, so often, me and John would talk while we're there painting our millionth rock um about uh, geez well whatever the customer wants we deliver and it'll be so nice to get back to our own place and do what we like you know because when you have a customer you fulfill a customer's needs and that's fine and we're professional enough to do that but it's nice then to go back home and just do what you want and nobody tells you what color the skull ought to be painted you know um so that's kind of been refreshing too being able to go around the country and work on other haunts once in a while and see other opinions and learn from other i mean we've had We've had uh, talented artists work with us from all over the country, and they have different views and different techniques. Or sometimes we're lucky enough that we can hire real carpenters, and then you actually really learn how to build stuff. So I think constant input uh, into what you're doing and new techniques and trying to find new ways to do things and new ways to tell our stories um, is the best way that I keep fresh. That's fantastic. It's awesome. A, a great point too. You know, even myself as a, you know, manager and actor over years, I've found, you know, that ability to refresh just through conventions and that type of thing. So that's a fantastic point uh, to help stem that off on all forms. John, what about you? How, how do you, how do you keep doing it? Especially with, you know, the different States and different types of haunts you operate in, you know, I know business wise, license wise, and especially, you know, doing anything in and around Rhode Island itself can, can be burnout within itself. How, how do you stem it off? Well, I'll be really honest with you. It's kind of a twofold question for me. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you asked this question. It's, it's uh, I, I, I got to the point, I even wrote an article about it in Fright Times, uh, you know, that I used to have out trade magazine years ago. And I wrote an article about avoiding the burnout. And I realized that I had made, a, a major mistake in um, the original Terra on the Wharf, which was the Museum of Myths and Monsters in the summertime. So people would go through and the monsters would tell their own history and they, the vampires would tell, they, the Frankenstein would activate everything. Like and it was just, it was, every stone was carved by hand. Everything was made uh, custom. Every, even the, even the mural little force was 
forced perspective murals. Everything even had a little epitaph on the one-inch tombstones. It was, you could turn the lights off and go, wow, this is beautiful, you know? And it's one of the, I actually met Ricky when he came through my hot and said, man, shame on you. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, like the prettiest little haunt I've ever seen. He says, but like guys in black robes wearing sneakers, come on, dude, you know? And we kind of did a trade. I, I went up and, you know, showed him some scenery stuff and helped him with some scenery. And, and in turn, of course, you know, I can't even string popcorn, let alone sew a costume. So, you know, I got some of the best costumes out of it. But for me, I had paintings in the lobby. And each painting in my, it was, it was a simple idea. The paintings in my lobby represented the scenes that were inside. And it was true. It was it was a true vision. And all of a sudden, I started buying some stuff at some trade shows. And I started, okay, well, you know, I was in my haunt every night, acting in my haunt every night. All, and I'm open from 10 a.m. to midnight. So when these guys complain, oh, yeah, man, we're exhausted, you know, they're preaching to the choir when it comes to me. So sure enough, I kind of spent more time building other people's stuff, which was good at times. Um, I got to do some, I got, I got to, you know, bring the first haunt to Hong Kong and do, you know, go to, uh, Guangzhou, go to all these wonderful places. I got something for Disney, did all kinds of neat things, but boy, I branched out and I started doing these giant mega haunts, 165,000 square feet, Canopy Lake Park, all kinds of other things. Uh, Bayside Expo Center ha even ran spooky world for a couple of years. But I will tell you, like when I focused back on Salem, and I started saying, you know what? I'm just going to do a few things and do them great. I'll still do my other gigs, but, you know, I'm not going to ignore my own golden nugget here. I went back just just, just during this time now. I, I just redid my entire haunt. And I didn't use anything that you can buy or purchase or some see somewhere else. And for the last few years, I've put myself back in the show. I'm the first person you see for school you'll see so instead of getting a welcome to the haunted house this way you hear welcome you've awakened the master the rules are simple touch nothing and no thing will touch you this way if you want to live and right off the bat like a firm handshake i've given them a good impression i can feel the passion i can feel my passion kind of uh going kind of oozing on to my uh, to my crew i and they and i've built a team i've really built a really good team that loves what they do and i just realized that you know you can have all the most beautiful scenery in the world but i'm telling you you have a team a, a great team of actors and performers and that's what makes a hunt absolutely fantastic and you know not to leave out the other hosts uh guys what about you anything you guys you know you've all of you are extremely creative and been in the industry for so long what about you guys how do you guys stem off uh you know burnout um, you know, myself, uh, I've taken some time off, um, just because of the burnout, uh, this year it's going to be just me and, and the wife, and we might go visit a couple of haunts to see how they're doing during this whole global pandemic thing. Um, but you know, I just needed a little time off to, to recharge the battery. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And don't sell yourself short too, because you put in a lot of energy and work with this show. And even, you know, in the things I've seen you step back from over the past year and stuff, you're still right there consulting and helping anybody who, who stands out and ass. So, you know, don't, don't sell yourself too short with just taking time off and taking a break. You, you've definitely done it to a point where, yeah, I, I need just to step back, which is, which is uh, a good plan. And I think there's, Probably a lot of owners and operators out there who, even if they did something like that, you know, passed off a little control here and there, they, they might have gotten a few more years or a different direction out of their haunts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry, what about you? You're, you, you know, super creative, all your albums and stuff. How, how, do you, how do you stem off burnout and keeping the creative juices flowing? Um, I've never asked that. Uh, it, a lot of it is just keeping myself active in the industry and seeing, you know, what's going on being the fact that I come from a different background than everybody else. Uh, I do acting occasionally. I'm more a musician than I am anything else with the exception of the podcast. Um, it's trying to keep a fresh set of eyes on everything because it constantly changed. Yeah. Um, I mean, what the industry was like when I started in 2008, 12 years later is completely different. So it's a matter of trying to keep, you know, keep things fresh and trying to make sure that the ideas are still fresh. Um, you know, it's like, okay, well, what are people, what is the, the, the te- better way of putting it? What's the temperature of the industry right now? What is the, what is the flavor? Okay. Well, but we're still on zombies. Nah, nah, let's move on from there. You know? So I, I, it's, it's difficult because so many attractions do use similar themes but every now and then you find that one that's like, oh, what's that? Okay, I haven't seen that before, and that helps kind of keep the, the juices spark by looking for something outside the norm. You know, you I mean, know a lot weird, of people... Go ahead. A weird thing with this that I think is, is what you're talking about is uh, all of us are saying after all this time, it's always good to be back and touchstoning back to why we started, what we started, yeah. how it looks. It's like, I have people that come through that are now, you know, I'm sure John and Cliff do too. They're second and sometimes third generation customers now. And I hear other people, you know, college age kids or whatever. Oh, or I read it on the, on some, you know, forum on Facebook or whatever. Yeah. I want to go back and see a classic haunt. And they don't mean Frankenstein and Dracula like I think they mean. They're talking about Freddy and Jason because that's yeah. wow. <laughs> you know, it weird. is. And I don't, I don't know if we're retro. I don't, you know, I don't know what the, what the kind of deal is or whatever. But I, you know, there is a younger crop coming through now that that is totally turned on by the kind of things that the three of us do again. Um, and that's actually invigorating too because not only your actors uh, are of that generation, but some of your customers as well. Um, you know, your actors always have to be young because they still have knees and cartilage and stuff like that. So you need the young. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but you know, it's like that's it's like it's re, it's it's re-verification of what we're doing to ourselves because you know we all are artists. We all want everybody to tell us we're pretty, right? You know, that's that's the deal. That's your your performers. Even if it's just you unlock your haunt door, that's your performance. Um, so it's been very interesting being around this long and just. How do we stay fresh as builders and designers and showmen? But how does that actually get interpreted by the public? That's kind of a, a challenge and an interesting deal too. I, I think uh, if if I may, may 
tackle that really quickly is I've also found um, even the way I walk or walk the trade shows um, or even walk, uh, I've talked to several suppliers in the industry, big suppliers and small suppliers alike. And, and they tend to, it's funny. They, they, they were saying what I was thinking and I was like, wow, you know, this is really interesting. Um, a few years back or, you know, I don't know, 10 guys, I would say a few, but that ends up being like 10 or 15. (laughs) It's like, you know, people thought nothing though. Well, I'll just buy this $20,000 giant animated piece. I walk through my, these things and I go, Hmm, would that bring any more people into my show? And and I've, and I've kind of watched the industry go like, huh, you know, like, Instead of go, instead of buying like a, a twenty thousand dollar piece, they or a ten thousand dollar piece, they'd rather buy twenty five hundred dollar. I mean twenty five hundred dollar pieces. And with me, in terms of of being in Salem too, I I'm not just competing with like you know there are a few other scary things and ghost tours and all kinds of stuff like this. I have, I have to come up with some kind of way that I can be different than the other haunted town and things like this. And I, I, I can't, I've come up with a, a, a gimmick of basically you choose your own level of fright. So at the door, we have different lines and you pick your level of fright and we customize the show to your level of fright all the way down to, believe it or not, we have so many baby carriages and strollers that come there and they will, and they'll, they get a lantern going through and the, the ghouls know and we have a little method that we do this, but it has become, they'll come to the door now. It's become a tradition, which I think is the goal of most haunts. They've become a tradition. And they come to the door and they go, is this the place where you pick your own level? It's scary. And I go, yes, it is. And, it, and it's, it's not easy to do. It's, it's killer on this. It's twice the work. But, you know, it, it's, it's how we stand out from the next guy. And even that aspect is so effective and fun. I remember when Badger and I went through your haunt on the tour. uh, I I can't remember if we just said 10 or if we at least hesitated. But, I mean, there's (laughs) at least that that into our heads, even as haunters. And and speaking of the uh, golden voice, uh, Badger, what about you? How do you stem off, you know, between all the haunting you do, all the travel you do, and even your other passions in life? How do you stem off burnout? Well, I was an actor for seven years at one particular large theme park in Charlotte, and I was starting to feel the burnout, and that was right about the time I got involved with the previous podcast that we were all involved with, and I started realizing that, hey, I I kind of enjoyed interviewing people about the industry at the time more than I enjoyed acting every Friday and Saturday night until two or three in the morning before I'd get home. And I just kind of moved from the acting side of it more to the actor training side of it because I'd been training actors at the time since 2005, but it was only at this one place. And, you know, last year I trained actors in New York state, California, North and South Carolina. You know, I've, I've taught at haunts in, I believe 21 States right now and one Canadian province. And I, I kind of get to see all the haunts 
because of it. I get to see how they work on the West Coast and how they work on the East Coast and how they work in the Midwest and the Deep South. And, you know, all haunts have a various central theme that ties them all together, but they all have their very different perks and their very different characteristics that make them really, really unique in their own way. And, you know, without you know, without pandering to Cliff Martin here, I've, I've told him this too. And, and other people that hacker house in North Carolina is pretty much in my opinion, the only haunt that you could take of North Carolina drop in the middle of Chicago or Michigan or Ohio, and it would compete. Absolutely not skip a beat with a lot of the Midwest haunts, because I, the way that they put on their show, I consider it a very Midwestern-esque haunt, which may be one reason I think it's so unique to the Carolinas. Mm. But um, I definitely, you know, see so many other haunts out there. And I get to guest act, too. You know, I go down to Netherworld every year or two and play around in the parking lot. I haven't played at their new location yet, but, uh, you know, I, I have a particular character that has a Facebook page that advertises go out and work at haunts and, you know, do so at your own risk. But, um, you know, that's how I avoid the burnout. I, I don't stay in one place too long, I guess you could say. Plus the fact that, you know, I am the guy that travels to what a dozen to 15 different conventions and trade shows and horror cons during the course of the year. You know, all the other hosts go to a couple every year that you know, as time allots, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a job where I can travel to a lot of different ones. So, you know, that, that's how I keep it fresh. It's just, that's okay, this is, this is August, okay, uh, this horror con's coming up at the end of August, and then it's Halloween, and then we start thinking about the Christmas haunts, and okay, there's a Christmas haunt opening an hour away from me. Okay, I can go to that one, and, you know, then it's January, and then that's big haunt trade show down or big haunt convention there and in february there's one in atlanta and in march is trans world in april it's you know this that and the other so you know hopefully with uh this pandemic hopefully once it eases we can get back into the routine it is kind of a i i do kind of set my yeah. calendar based on you know this month i will hopefully go to this con and this con and get a bunch of interviews and Hopefully I'll be training actors every weekend in August and September and, and go from there. But I do want to let everybody know it is the round table of terror. You're listening to with our special guest, Ricky Dick of castle blood, Cliff Martin from hacker house, John Denley of which mansion, our regular host. We're going to take a very quick break here to pay a couple of bills and we'll be right Back. In 1897, Dr. Alexander Hammond arrived at an institution for the criminally insane, only to discover the unsolved murders of several guards. Drivers, where are we? Jerry Bain takes you into Black Moon Asylum, a twisted abyss of torment, madness, and the horrifying mystery of patient 292. Time for your medication. Moon Asylum, a symphonic journey into darkness from Hunstrumentalist Jerry Vane. Download Black Moon Asylum at jerryvane.com, iTunes, cdbaby.com, Amazon MP3, and your favorite download site. 
Welcome back to the Roundtable of Terror here on The Big Scary Show. We are talking with longtime haunters John Denley, Ricky Dick, and Cliff Martin with our usual co-hosts. Each of them have literal decades in the business. And I'll throw this question out. Um, gentlemen, I am sure that getting a permit for the 2020 or 2019 season to operate is probably a little bit different than it was when you were getting your permits, oh, 20, 25 years ago, if you needed them. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen over the past 20, 25, 30 years in the industry as far as operating a haunted house? Is it the permitting? Is it the general attitude of haunted house goers? Is it the industry itself? What are, what are some of the big changes that you've noticed? I could certainly head that one off. Um. As a person who has to meet, I get hired to design and install haunts or just go as a consultant to see if a location would be viable. Um, and I get so many people, some <laughs> some fairly large names in the industry, believe it or not, that will go, well, I don't need to worry about these sprinklers. I don't need to worry about this. My cousin knows this person and that person. Every, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't cut the mustard. Right now, most haunts go by a national, you know, national, uh, you know, um, special amusement building code, which basically says, you know, unless you're grandfathered in or there's something like this or a historical building or anything like this, that you need sprinklers any over a thousand square feet. And that, um, any amuse, the, the definition goes that in any building that's used for the, um, for education, uh, or entertainment, um, Basically, uh, if the path of egress is not readily available, uh, the site is blocked by means of fog, path, or or, or lighting effects, that you have to have a, a sprinklers, you know, exit signs, you know, your your um, occupancy. Of course, a lot of times you need architects getting involved now, almost all the time. Um, and you, uh, have a pull, uh, have pull stations at the egresses and what they like to see is the kill switch. So somebody at a manned or a woman station can, if they need to get a stretcher in there, can throw a switch. It turns on the overheads and kills all the sound effects and all the special effects. Lights. So years ago, they didn't really require quite all of that. Um, and I can go on and on, but I mean, you know, for class A fire retardant application, you know, certification that this has been done. I give them the MSDS sheets, what have you, you know. So it, it is, you need to treat it like a business now, much more than you did. It's, it's not just the hobby or something you can throw together. Uh, because even if you get by with so-and-so, as soon as the state goes through, I mean, they're going to hold you to the, you know, and, and, and who would, you know, they're going to hold you to the codes. And who would be one? who would want to be held responsible for somebody getting hurt anyway? I mean, no extension cores, no this, you know, it, it's, um, it's, it, it's definitely people think this is an easy way to make a dollar. And I will tell you, I've never worked so hard in my life as to, as to, you know, to uh, haunting is, is not an easy lifestyle. You want you need to lift a lot of football panels. You need to, you need to uh, to fight a lot of battles. You, you work crazy hours, and I and it always kills me when you hear that one guy in line who goes, "These people are smart. All they do is work three days a year and they make all that money." That that just kills. 
that's just if they only knew the planning boards that I go to and the meetings and the things like that, you know, but, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, insurance and payroll and things like this, you know, it is a business. So that, that's what I say today. Um, they're looking at like, just for instance, you know, the, the, the nightclub fire they had and all that kind of stuff. The, the inspectors are looking for, you know, anything dangling in the customer's path to make sure it's fire retardant. They'll, they'll test it. Sometimes you'll even ask for, uh, like New York Fire Shield is, is a great Class A fire retardant. They even have a service where if you clip the uh, samples, you can send it to them to be certified. And the fire marshal, you know, loves this type of stuff. So I, I like to play by the book. It's always served me well in the past. Yeah, in Pennsylvania, um, geez, I guess it's 10, a little more than that now. There was a uh, an electrical fire that was pretty bad in one of the Pittsburgh city uh, haunts up north of the city, and the state finally just put their foot down and said, "We've got to take care of this somehow." And uh, and that's when they came up with their whole licensing procedure, and every uh, every haunt in the in the state has to be licensed, just like a carny ride, and has to be inspected. You know, you watch those theme park things where the guys are walking the roller coaster every morning. You know, to inspect it, and well, the state came in and, and said, "You guys have to either hire somebody to do this who doesn't really understand your business, or we're gonna we're gonna set up this thing where we're gonna start licensing people." And uh, just out of the blue, you know, it's like I looked out. This was when I was still sixty eh, percent outside, so I didn't have that many problems. But I look out the second story window of the house, my house on the property at the time, and I'm sure uh, everybody can notice. I can see a guy with a clipboard in my driveway and I can go, that's an inspector. (laughs) (laughs) And and my ex is like, what do you mean? I go, "Uh, flannel shirt, really nice dockers, still nice work boots that have never seen a hard day's work. And that's an inspector. I'm going to have to go down and talk to this guy. (laughs) If they're really special, they're showing up three hours before showtime opening. Yeah, luckily they did not do that and it was okay. But, uh, yeah, I would, the castle was part of the first crew that had to um, do all these exams and take all these tests, and and uh, I was in great shape with it because I'd worked with John and Boneyard Productions in, in Massachusetts and New York and places where it's really, really hard to, to get open, um, so I knew all the right stuff, and and, uh, and we were pretty okay with everything, um, but yeah, I... I I have it in my wallet every day. I have my little badge with my picture on it, and my license number, and all that kind of stuff. And we still have to go take more classes, you know, every so often, and re-up and recertify. And it's uh, it's it's pretty crazy. It's really it. At least in Pennsylvania, it's not the Wild West anymore. I mean, even when I mean, we had National Haunters Convention, and we set up a little temporary haunt in the back hall just for fun for the weekend, I had to bring the state in, and we had to still do all that. We still had to inspect it. We still had to do everything, just like it was a full seasonal haunt. And and, and so many people will set up at uh, like uh, for instance, which is Woods. I've been involved with them for twenty years. They have five haunted houses, two horror museums, uh, uh, walk through the woods, giant hayride, and a lot of their haunts are very weather dependent because they leave them out there. They don't have any tent over them or any roof. They're outside. Uh, because if they put a tent over them, the state of Massachusetts considers that a roof 
So they would have to have some kind of temporary sprinkler come in, you know, uh, via P, uh, PVC and things like this. Um, so they just they just take the chances. And of course, now uh, uh, he's a high roller, so he, he he takes out his rain insurance, which has served them well. Cliff, how about you down in rural North Carolina? Is it easier down there than it is in other areas? Uh, it's definitely easier than uh, what Ricky deals with. We, we started early on with a good relationship with the, the fire marshal and the whole fire department, really, and uh, involving them in the process early on. And that, that, that's really paid off long term because they know what we're up to and what, what, what we're trying to do and how we go about it now for 20 plus years. And um, it, it's been a great working relationship. So as far as uh, having issues with, uh, with that end of it, no. Our, our issue has always been just trying to get open. Yeah. There's always there's always a disaster right before we open. <laughs> like three hours before, well, four hours before we open, first night, uh, the DOT truck pulled down the driveway and informed me that they were closing the bridge to our place. And you know, <laughs> you know Drew, there is no other access. That's it. So uh, there is not. It was a, it was a low attendance night, as as was the Saturday <laughs> afterwards. The next weekend, we stuck one of our hearses in, in front of the, uh, the the barricade with a little hand-drawn map to take you the long way around. And uh, the next weekend, we sort of survived. They patched the bridge. Life was good. That was one. <laughs> you know, That's the, Murphy's Law for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Tuesday before we opened, one year, uh, I'm down in the bottom land down here, and we have uh, prone to flash flooding. And... Well, let's put it this way. The haunt was under about a foot of water. There were uh, little puppet master timers dangling on the end of the wires like, like fishing floats. And caskets floated to, into the next room. So that was fun. Uh, that's, that started one of our phrases for years later where the, the, uh, the greeter at the door would open the door and he said, holy crap, smells like dead fish in there. And then, <laughs> <laughs> he out to the crowd Dead fish and send them in. If people, if people would be working about the dead fish, though, I would have been selling T-shirts. <laughs> it was great. I would get a scent box with dead fish if it wasn't dead fish enough. So that, <laughs> that fool would bring one with him. Just toss it into the front room, and that that actor did not like it. That's it, fun. It, but it, you were it, able to open. Oh, absolutely. We've 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 not. Uh, the only time we've not been able to open is if it's uh, actually raining on us, and that's that's rare. I'd say maybe not knock on wood, a couple days out of the season at, at most. But yeah, the what circumstances has has been our our joy. <laughs> well, I'm sure what you just said might qualify for the next question, but uh, I was going to ask you what is the strangest, and what is the coolest thing you guys have experienced in all your years and uh we'll, we'll stay with cliff on this one because i'm i'm fascinated did you say did you say cruelest or clueless coolest cruelest i know <laughs> now what is the strangest and what is the most awesome thing that okay. that you guys have seen in in all your years no i'm gonna have to get back with you uh you know weird is relative around here so strangest of curious it was a strange for haunters. Let's say that. 
Well, I mean, it, it's category is strange, but definitely weird. You know, some guy that went went through the haunt, and I usually visit with people towards the end of the night at the at the end. And this this guy had a, a chainsaw blade around his neck. And I'm talking about the sharpened chainsaw blade as a decoration. That was his necklace. He looked like he was, you know, missing half of a green pan. And what he said, let me show you something. He goes out to his car. He pulls out what had to be the biggest chainsaw I've ever seen in my life. Cranks that thing up and starts waving it around in the parking lot. The deputy steps in front of me and was unholstering her pistol saying, this thing will last long. And then, uh, and then the guy kind of, he kind of figured out the deputy was a little on edge about the whole thing and he put the chainsaw back in his trunk. So that was one kind of strange thing. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of anything strange. Oh, this was this one time a chainsaw-wielding maniac, you know, decided to show off in the parking lot. You always get those customers. There's always a weird one every year who, like, oh, look, I, this makes me so happy I do this. I'm like, dude, you got bodies in your yard, don't you? He probably didn't give him a job. <laughs> no, those are the ones who set off your meters and stuff. We used to, uh, you know, recruit at a um, a, a local uh, fair in Rhode Island, and there would be ones who, you know, you talk to them for a few minutes, and just all the alarms would go off in your head. And we do background checks, and usually those would be the ones where something in the background check was a huge red flag, and you're not calling them back ever. <laughs> We had these uh, two little girls, well, little girls, they're, they're grown up now. They started coming to the haunt when they were, like, in middle school. And they're about the same, same, same size and build. And then they started on a lark dressing like the, uh, the Shining Twins with those, those look-alike dresses. They kind of kept that thing going for over 10 years. <laughs> and and it, would, it would clear out the queue line. They would just walk on up to the door. Nobody I think that. I think one of the one of the strangest things I've seen in, in terms of uh, of of customers, uh, the strangest thing would have to be two very memorable customers that to, to, to this day I still shake my head and go, "Why do I do this for a living?" One of them, I know you you, you kind of had to be there for this one, but I'll do my best. It's a quick little story. For the first one, is uh, I was the end of the night. It was terror on the wharf. And I went to just open it. We have already done the counting and all this kind of stuff. So it's like two in the morning. And I, so I, I, I opened the closet to hit, to shut the breakers down. And, and I shut the door. And out of the corner of my eye, I thought to myself, did I just see what I thought I saw? I, I really second guessed myself, you know? So I opened the door again. And sure enough, there's this guy just standing there with his hands over his eyes and he's just facing out towards me and I'm like what are you doing dude and he goes and he doesn't answer me so I go hey what are you doing in my closet <laughs> he doesn't answer me again so I go this may come as a shock to you and now the other guys that come over near me some of the bigger guys too and I said I said but just because you can't see me doesn't mean I can't see you. <laughs> and he takes his hands off his head and he goes, am I in trouble? <laughs> I go, well, it's two in the morning. 
and you're in my closet. So, you know, it's just kind of awkward. I go, and he go, I go, what was your intention? He goes, I've just always wanted to sleep in a haunted house overnight. And I just want to spend the night here. I didn't mean anything bad by it. And I go, we have motion detectors. Like every eight feet you would have been arrested. And I go, just go. And I, and of course we just let him go. And the other is a quick thing. The other was a customer who got through all of protective people who were like, oh, you know, busy, this is a guy. He was fiery and he was ready to swing. And I stepped outside, not understanding what I had done wrong. And he said, you the, you the boss here? And I go, yes, sir, how can I help you? And he goes, yeah, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell to your face. And I go, oh, okay. And I can't say I wasn't a little nervous about it. And he goes, you're sick. You are twisted. I go, so far he's on the money, you know? And he goes, I just went through there with my family. And all those people did was jump out at us and scream in our face. And I said, uh, he was really passionate. And I said, uh, uh, well, yeah. I go, it, it's a haunted house, sir. That's what they're paid <laughs> to do. And he goes, don't you mock me. I go, I, I'm not mocking you. I'm just telling you, maybe there's a misunderstanding uh, that you, you misunderstood the intent of the purpose of the place. Why don't I give you money back? And my friend owns a restaurant down the street, and I'll give you some coupons for free appetizers. And he goes, you can take that and stuff it with a sunshine and shine. He goes, here's what's going to happen. And I go, okay. I said, I was going to refund your money. And he goes, no, no, I don't want your rotten money. And he goes, I'm going to come back here with the Better, better Business Bureau. And I'm going to shut you down. And I said, so let me get this straight. You're going to come back to Salem in October <laughs> to, a ha to a haunted house and complain to the Better Business Bureau that they attempted to scare you. And I said, that's like going to an ice cream shop and complaining that the ice cream was cold. And this guy flipped me off and his wife like held him back. And I said, what's really going to happen, sir, is you can come back to the town and they're just going to charge you and the Better Business Bureau for parking once again. <laughs> and that was the end of that. And he, he was my favorite customer I've ever had. I thought to myself, oh, boy, some people, you know. <laughs> How about you, Ricky? Anything really, really strange? Well, first, I'm just grateful that John kept it to the G-rated stories of things that have happened in Terra <laughs> War. So that's good with customers. Because <laughs> that's a whole different show. Yep. Um, the awesome one for me, I've been in, the castle's been in five different locations over uh, 28 years. I haven't always moved of my own volition, but that's just how that works sometimes. But two of our places were in buildings that were well over 100 years old, our current one. And the one where I first met, first met John uh, back in the 90s. And the, uh, the awesome things that have happened in both were, uh, you know, I'm usually dressed every night and, and outside where people can find me and trying to do that greeter thing and all, being the celebrity part, right? And uh, well, so what'd you like? What did this? How'd you do? You know, I always ask how they did since we're like the game scenario kind of haunt. And, uh, you know, what's your favorite, of course, what's your favorite thing? And they tell us stuff. And in both of these old buildings, uh, the customers would tell us about stuff that, well, that we didn't have. You know, like, oh, well, that first room where, where the uh, vampire lady was giving us instructions and gave us our little beads of protection and everything. And, and then that head came out of that mirror and floated around her and then went back in the mirror. And I'm like, huh. 
okay. <laughs> and, and, but, we, but we heard this for like two years, the same thing. And this is in the 90s. I, we were not affording that kind of technology in the 90s, you know? And, uh, and yeah, so we just, you know, it's the same kind of deal. We, in the off-season, people would come, workers would come, and they'd bring their new little puppy, and the puppy would go into that room and go berserk and scream and holler and bark at the mirror, and, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's always fun. And, <laughs> and now this new building we're in, it's, uh, it was built in 1905, and from the 30s until 2009, it was a funeral home. So uh, nice. there's lots of things that I don't plan to have happen. Uh, in the castle that the customers think are amazingly brilliant on our parts, like all the time on a regular basis. So, uh, so that's always fun and awesome. And it certainly leads to the, or uh, lends itself to the, uh, uh, the overall aura and, uh, and people that read about the place or, you know, see, see reports or read articles about all that kind of stuff. But that certainly helps. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes just your building can, can be its own character. Let me tell you. Customers are stranger than your props. Yeah, by far. <laughs> by by far. far. We would never be, well, you know, how could we, in an actual physical location, do things that are better than what some people's imaginations are going to tell them, right? Exactly. Some Any other props are people's imaginations. Yeah, and, and I think the best of us use their imaginations, you know, give them a hint of it, let them fill in the blanks. Exactly. And it's and it's interesting now. Uh, I was just asked this on the internet last night. It was a little debate, and I kind of I kind of agree with uh, a friend of mine who made the analogy. He said, uh, "You know," he said, "arguing with people on the internet," he said, "is is basically, you know, like throwing a lead ball against a rubber wall. It's just going to come back and hit you in the head and give you a headache. It's just it's just it's you know it's." Very, very uh, few times is it actually productive um, because you never know who's jumping on or, or who's who and whatever. But, you know, they were going on about, and I think Ricky jumped in on this post too, or maybe he was in it before I was, I don't know. But it was, but it was talking about like the necessity of gore and what have you. And, and I said, well, you know, there's a, time and place, there's a time and place for it. I said, you know, with my style, towards the families and I said you know have I used gore in the past yeah I said but I still fail to see what the you know the girl with the umbilical cord and the baby have to do with Halloween I, I it's just never been my flavor I I, I know it, things that work uh, I, I, I used to own a piece of one in North Carolina and I'll tell you something right now it was like stuff that went over down there would never fly in Salem and vice versa. <laughs> but I will tell you, it's, it amazes me. It, uh, it, it really amazed me when I said, well, all, and all I, I was trying to be polite about it. I said, um, you know, I said, I, I, I don't understand what it has to do with Halloween. And they said, well, not only do we do that. And they said, we staple Bible pages, pages all over the thing. I'm not a religious guy. I said, but you know, but yeah, they, they said, you know, we staple Bible pages all over the stuff. We, you know, upside down cross, like she, she just went through the whole gamut of this. And we put blood and six sixes all over everything. And I'm like, think, okay, good for you. And I said, well, good luck getting corporate sponsorship. <laughs> and they said, oh, we have no problem doing that. And I said, okay. So I said, 
Let me know the names of the corporate sponsorship that signed off on any controversial or religious subject. You know, I, I will award you, you know, but of course that didn't go anywhere. So it, it, is, it is very interesting. There are so many different flavors, which is why I love when people like, like the old, the old movies, like so many of the ones I watch, like I, I, I'm a movie junkie. I'm such a bad movie junkie. I'm so bad. I, I'll watch anything. Mansquito, you know, I, I from the Sci-Fi Channel. I'll watch Frankenfish. You, you name it. If it's on there, it's a monster movie. I'll watch it. Oh, right? You and Storm will get along great. Oh, <laughs> so so, so I, I'm I'm terrible. I, I, it's like an addiction. But the thing is, is like <clears throat> I still like the ones. I, I don't. I, it doesn't have to just be a gore fest all the time. The, to me, the creepy atmospheres and the setups. Of like the take a movie like The Changeling with George C. Scott, you know when, you know, when the rolling ball kept coming down the stairs, and then he, drew, he didn't believe it, and he threw it in the rushing river, and he came back home, and the wet rolling ball rolled to his feet again. That was chilling, but you didn't really did. It wasn't any giant special effect. It was just a, it was just great writing and a creepy effect. I think you can do a great balance. Like, yeah, I, I don't think you have to resort to it. But if you do, I think you can do a great balance of both. And I think you can make people laugh. If you do the same thing, like make, I, make, I make an analogy. If you have a, you know, a, a great prop, I mean, when the ski factory came out with the, the first corpsulators and they came out and flew at people when they first came out, I mean, I was like, wow, that can actually replace an actor you know, cause for that particular piece, right? So I'm thinking, you know, it comes out, yeah, if you have twelve of those in a row, it loses its, its effect. So mix things up, mix the heights of the scares up, mix mix the t you know, make them laugh once in a while, hit them with light, and then re you know, make them readjust to their act. You know, play with them, and you can do so much. In and you know, it doesn't constantly just have to be people put into a grinder and turn into meat and stuff like this or whatever. I mean, that's fine and all, but it's like you know. I still think you can be creative in your ways to scare people and startle them, you know, which I think is the, is, is the key. I think uh, I used to do makeup, and I'll tell you, I remember being so deflated when I took my portfolio and I showed a very famous makeup artist, and I said, hey, just, just so you know, I want to look through my portfolio. So he looked through it, and he said, blood, 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 and more blood. And I go... You don't like it? And he goes, anybody can do that. He says, but try making a 70-year a woman look 40 or a 40-year woman look 70. And he goes, That's, that takes talent and time and training. And I was like, I was totally deflated because me, I never wanted to do regression or beauty makeup. I just wanted to make crazy monsters, you know, but that's just me. <laughs> I think John's right about the mixing the show up too, though. Because it's like, if, if you put something totally terrifying in, that's cool. And if you have three or four totally terrifying things in there, you really need something. It needs to be lightness and dark. It needs to be laughter and scares. It needs to be, uh, you know, I mean, we're all so conditioned to some of these things. When you see some of these horror movies now, they build up the music, they build up nothing, and nothing happens. And then you totally release all that <laughs> adrenaline, and then they slam you with something, and you're even ripe for the picket. Right. You know, in, in, in my weird haunt, a few animations and a few really good scares is almost all I need. I mean, they're going through with these escape route type challenges that I've been doing forever, even when back when the industry told me I was an idiot. 
oh, nobody's going to want to have a thematic-y room where you have to do challenges and solve puzzles and riddles. That's stupid. Okay. Every escape room can send me a dollar a year. I'd appreciate it now. But, uh, but because we were doing that, we had to, in between the scenes, do the scares. You know, you're spending three minutes, four minutes with some sexy vampire girl trying to figure out some legend of whatever in one room, and they're all calm and they're concentrating and they're doing this. So when they leave, right around that corner has to be a bam, you got to kill them right there. Yeah. And that way, when they go around the other corner and there's another person they have to actually deal with, they're not going to want to, they're not going to be thinking straight, they're not going to be, you know, they just won't have their act together at all. So no matter what kind of uh, what kind of theme you have, you can have the most hillbilly zombie bloody thing in the world. If you don't have crazy funny grandma in the middle of it just to relieve the tension and let them start over again, you know, no different than having a black room and then you strobe them and then you have a black room again and their eyes have to adjust. You need to make it so their brains have to adjust too. And we're supposed to be the magicians that know how to do all that. And we're supposed to be able to control that. So if you do that right, you'll control how they react. You'll control what your customers are thinking. Yeah. Because you can just manipulate them any way you want. Keep them guessing. I like the analogy of the, uh, it's a roller coaster. You have, yep. your, you have your highs and you have your lows. And, and, and actually I used the phrase, it's a roller coaster ride of frights and fun in my advertising. Yep. You guys come up and I swear to God, they wanted their money back because they didn't get on the roller coaster. <laughs> I'd believe that. I, 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 yeah. Absolutely. I, I love, I love Rich Hanf's, uh, uh walking up and down in front of his haunt, always saying the same thing was, you know, come see what can only be described as a super spectacle of hideous horrors. <laughs> I always get a kick out of that. Well, we're looking at the clock here, and we probably need to start winding down. So I'll ask the hosts if they have any final questions. Uh, I guess we'll go with the obvious one. Are Are you ready? And you know, got a plan for this season? Uh, I actually met with my city council the other day. I went to the council meeting, and and when I meet with the council, I don't like to do it in closed doors. I like to do it in open session, so the newspaper is recording it and everything, just for for total transparency. Um, and because of the kind of show I do, we're in really good shape because we have smaller numbers, we have smaller groups. We've all, we for the past five, six years, we've done a portion of our tickets to be timed reserve tickets. So we don't have that many people in line compared to the big giant shows. I mean, here in Pittsburgh, that's a big deal because Kennywood Theme Park just canceled their Halloween Fright Nights yesterday. Wow. Which is 50,000 people, you know? And it's like, well, yeah, because as we've seen, as people start opening up, you can't control 5,000 people a night in one open space to keep them distant or to keep them safe or whatever. So the theme park just said, nope, we're not even doing it this year. So uh, I, 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 went, I went to council and, and explained to them, you know, we were watching those Salt Lake City guys and we're watching IAPA and what they're doing and, you know, how they're doing stuff and just to let them know that we're on top of this. You know, when I got up to talk, they're like, what the heck are you doing here? It's only June. And I'm like, I need, <laughs> I need you to know that we're on top of this. You know, we, I, I, I don't, we have like Chris Handa, God bless him, my operations manager. He's been taking all those online classes over the weekends that all the hunters have been doing and everything. And we have like four different levels of can we open. 
already written out on how to do it. You know, from from we're barely open and only doing a few groups a night as a special little thing, all the way to okay, it's normal, but and layers in between. So I, I have a feeling the big giant super haunts are going to be the ones with the toughest luck this year. Uh, I, I think I, I think aggressive twenty year olds are still going to go, but I don't think the overall population is going to go in the same numbers they might be used to. I uh, in Massachusetts they've they've laid it out for us. They've laid out the entire uh, reopening phase for all businesses and types of businesses. Now, just the night before last, I had a wonderful dinner. I felt actual part of society, and you know everybody do a mess going in, but there was this big outside pavilion where I could actually sit at a table and have a turkey dinner with my wife. And I was just like, Oh my God, I feel semi human again. But what I think is very interesting. And I also, I can't help but get fueled up a little bit about it is that I've, put, I've played it safe. I wear my mask. I've done everything. I've, I've been told to do the whole social distancing, everything, whatever, has been laid out. I've tried to be intelligent about it. But it is very frustrating for me personally to watch record numbers go to Lowe's, lines up door and Home Depot, and all these Walmart and Target and mega businesses. But the lo little local guys still are struggling to open. It, it, it does irk me a bit. They've told us that we can open up again starting with the escape rooms there that uh, it keeps getting pushed back. Now it's July because normally I'd be open all summer, but it's July uh, 2nd for the escape rooms and the haunt. And the conditions are basically that, you know, any of my employees have to wear masks um, for the escape rooms. The things that they touch uh, have to be wiped down between games. So I've, I've put more time between games in the haunt. I've removed a lot of the things that dangle down that people literally have to like brush through like a lot of the, you know, vines and things so that they're not touching as much and they have to wear a mask. If they don't have one, I'll, I'm, I will gladly sell them a doll 25 mask. That's fine. You know? Uh, but yeah, we're ready. We've got one of those fogging units to, to, to fog the place every day and do this and what have you. And, um, you know, I don't know. One possibility is that we have to take our workers' temperature every day, digital thermometer and things like this. Uh, but things are starting to move here in Massachusetts. It's a real tough state. And you see so many of the other states moving. But, you know better safe than sorry we we have a, a tough governor but i i think we're going to be ready and i will agree with ricky i i think we're going to get all of the people that are just pent up and be because i'm asking other escape rooms i go how was your attendance and people are saying i'm doing 110 of the percent of the business i did last year and i'm like really and they're like yeah and i think that's because people are so pent up they just want something to do right now and like surges but i don't think i'm going to get those people traveling the coast like i normally got I think I'm going to get a lot of the local guys that, like Ricky said, don't want to go to the big giant number haunts because the only way I do, I do pretty impressive numbers. But the reason I do is because I'm open from 10 a.m. till midnight instead of 6 or 7 o'clock. So 
that's how I get my numbers. And um, we're ready. We'll adapt to anything we need to. But uh, I, I really wish everybody uh, a great hunting season. And 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 I really hope it doesn't put a big, huge, which I you know probably will damper on on, on trick or treat itself because I I love this holiday more than life itself. And I, I literally I, I would hate to see. You know, this, you know, I, anything that, that hurts Halloween just, just kills my heart. Any final questions from the hosts? No, but I'll tell John, start printing the T-shirts right now. Salem Halloween 2020. This year it's for the locals. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, you know. You because, go. because really, from what what you're saying too, I mean, you know, as as a New Englander, you know, I've done Salem on Halloween like once, and it's mm-hmm. you know, it's crazy and stuff. And you go, oh, yeah, I'm going to catch it a different time because it, it, you know, it's there. But this this might be the year to go if you're local because it won't yeah. have all the tourists. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm prepared one way or the other with the escape rooms and the amount of work. I mean, I've been doing work on in in Belgium and Germany and all in, 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 you know, in all of these, uh, uh, other countries and stuff like this. We've got my company got military contracts to build out crazy, scary escape rooms and things like this. So, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't show any sign of slowing down. And I think it's kind of, I think we're all getting kind of like wine and the fact that I'm choosing my selections of more, what I want to do and who I want to work with. I, I, I don't, I don't just buy it in any shiny hook that goes by anymore. Nice. Um, last question before we go to the plugs, uh, if you can give a piece of advice to a, a haunter that's only been in business, you know, less than five years and they hope to make it to 25, 30 or more years, what's the one piece of advice you would give them? Let's start with, uh, Ricky. Uh, I would say if you're doing it as a business investment, yeah, you better have those millions and millions of dollars up front. Um, the only way to long for longevity, I mean, to flip an answer when the newspaper will ask me, what, why are you still doing this or whatever? And I probably can speak for Cliff and John on this is the funny flipping answer is too stupid to quit. <laughs> you know, but the, but the true answer is, it's part of us and it's what we do. So we'll figure out a way to do it. And that's because it's in our heart. This is what we love. Our taunts are all different. They should reflect you as a, if you're a young haunter doing this, they should reflect you. They should reflect the things you like. Um, almost like, you know, the greatest musicians are writing about themselves, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, the, that's what you have to do. You have to put a, a core of yourself and if you're lucky enough to have uh, family and friends that believe in what you're doing and are on that same track, um, that's going to be the way to do it. And don't overreach what you think you can do at any one time. Yeah. Um, I, when I first went really huge in 96, John advised me a step-by-step process, and I did not believe him. And he was totally right, and it really crushed me the first year. Because uh, I wasn't prepared to be open with a giant, giant six thousand square foot attraction that first year. Um, so do what you can to make it nice and good and fun and safe and all of that. 
and then build on your successes so you still have room to go and you can always answer the question of what's new this year. I'd like to uh, chime in behind what uh, Ricky said about basically starting small and then growing up to where you want to be. Because you yeah. can't, if you, if you try to say, I'm going to invest $100,000 in this hot, where are you going to be $120,000 in debt when it's over? <laughs> You'll be able to deal with that. Yeah. This, this straight up, this is a business. If anybody thinks this is a game or anything like that, well, you're just, just look at it as throwing a, a one-off party. This is the hobby. <laughs> we got, mm-hmm. we, uh, we, we struggle with taxes like everybody else. We uh, try to find receipts. We try to make it all make sense to our tax guy at the end of the year and uh, deal with the business licensing fees and all that stuff. It's, it's, not, it's not my cup of tea. It's not where my head's at. I can probably for John and Ricky both, it's the same. But if you don't I pay get, I give him a garbage bag full of receipts and he just hates me. Oh, you organized it. I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I a, did that to an IRS audit once. He actually showed up at the end of September for an IRS audit. That was a little stressful season. I to come back and, and tape the receipts <laughs> to an 8F11 piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, I've had fun with those guys. Anyway, uh, business is real. Treat it like a business. Don't, do not play games with the business side because all it'll do is bite you in the end. It's, uh, it's also got to be fun. I really think it's got to be fun. Like, like you said, it's, it's got to be in your blood. Because uh, if it's not, the, uh, the hours and the stress will just wear you down. It, it will kill you. <laughs> it, it will wear you slap out. That's my slap out quote. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> and John, I, how about you? Yeah, for me, it is uh, perception of value. Uh, this is the biggest mistake that I see prospective clients make, and I try to uh, many. I, I I finally get through to, uh, but there is already one in Salem that made this mistake. Uh, it was called Dracula's Castle, where Ricky will me- remember it affectionately. Many, many years ago, there was a little place called Dracula's Castle in Salem. It was 900 square feet, and it was a tiny little shack. It was next to a place called the Lobster Shanty. And you paid your $5, and you went, you went in the door. And it was the cheesiest little thing. But for some reason, people affectionately loved it because it was just so short and cheesy and it was five bucks they came out laughing but oh my god that was so bad that it was good well this guy at any one time you could go up to him and go hey they're opening a place up here uh you know you want to go in on this 50 50 and he'd go into a safe and be able to pull out 30 40 grand no problem like this well he paid 500 dollars a month rent okay 500 so six grand for the year, and he was doing, you know, 17, 18,000 people, okay? So he was making a killing, you know, pretty nice little chunk of change for, what do you need, two or three actors in there or something like that? Well, somebody convinced him to move to a 12,000-square-foot building, and the audience still perceived that as Dracula's castle, so he only could go up. And I said, look, what are you doing? Are you really going to do 24 times the amount of people from 500 square, you know, or, 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 you know, 
12 times the amount of queer people. I mean, you know, you got, you got that, you know, 12 times the amount of people you're doing here. And he goes, uh, I don't think so. And I go, then what are you doing? He lost his shirt out of business. But here's, here's the big thing. If you've got a 10, and let's just use round numbers. If you've got a 10,000 square foot building, don't inside you want a little bit of lobby. Don't build the 9,000 square foot haunted sign. Build because people perceive it as one haunt. So they perceive the value as like, okay, well, I can charge $12 for this, let's just say. But, or maybe maybe even 15, okay? But if I take that 10,000 square feet and I build three 3,000 square foot haunts, each with a varying theme, now I've got three frighteningly fun haunted attractions for one frightening low price, you know, and I've turned myself into a screen pod, I now can get twenty four fifty all day long. So it's perceived value, and so many people make that mistake. And then, of course, the last thing is location, because choose your locations wisely. Yeah, I did. <laughs> there I was you go. Say, yeah, Cliff. Hmm. No, no comment there. No comment. But anyway, looking at the clock, we do have to wind this up. This is the part of the show we affectionately call the plugs, where people can get more information about your various you know, ventures, haunt rooms, escape rooms, websites, social medias. How can people get more information about that stuff? And let's start with John. How can people get more information about which mansion, all the stuff you used to do? Didn't you used to have a line of, you know, videos and things like that? How can people oh, yeah, I, I Basically, BoneyardProductions.com is the name of my, my the mothership company. So BoneyardProductions.com. Um, and basically escape room international is my escape room business and one that really has been going crazy lately is is creepyvoice.com because i do a lot of voiceovers and voice work for people's animations and what have you um and i just got do uh, just got done doing an entire um virtual i mean in an escape room uh, i did all the voice work for uh, a company in russia that just did a virtual escape room which was quite a, a feat, a lot of, lot of voiceover work, a lot of production work. Uh, but that keeps, you know, keeps me going, and it's something that I love to do. And Witch Mansion, if you come to Salem, um, it's just witchmansion.com, and uh, you're going to bump into us sooner or later because everything, including the police department patch on their arm, has the word witch in it. <laughs> nice. Uh, Cliff, how about you? How can people get more information about Hacker House and all things regarding? Uh, the Hacker House uh, website is uh, www.hackerhouse.com. And on Facebook, it's The Hacker House. And also did a Halloween how-to website called scaryguys.com. It's uh, kind of long in the tooth now, but it was, it was a lot of fun. Nice. Um, also, uh, uh I'm a part of the nchaunts.com. That's a website that uh, sponsors that advertises a lot of the area haunts. Well, all the area haunts, and um, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, Ricky, last but not least, how can people get more information about Castle Blood? Well, it is castleblood.com for the main website, and it's just Castle Blood on Facebook, um, the Castle Blood on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, I have an Etsy page under Gravely Macabre if you're looking ah. for, uh, for the costume uh, 
portion. You can just get through that through the castleblood.com thing. I don't really have a catalog of costumes much too much anymore. I mostly just do custom work these days. Um, but all the stuff that we used to have and whatever is still available it doesn't have to be fan too fancy schmancy. I'm going to be hitting you up. Well, that is good because I've been sewing a lot this summer. I'm tired <laughs> of sewing masks. But I need to sew something else. <laughs> but if anybody does need spooky Halloween fabric masks, I'm still making those too. Apparently this year, so that's all. That's all good as well. And uh, and thanks for the opportunity of having having uh, me and having all of us on this. Yeah, thank you. Sometimes very much. things move so fast in this industry that uh, you go, "Hey, wait, what? When did that happen? I don't what." Who's that guy? You know. So, or what do you mean? It was just a few years ago. No, John, that was twenty-five years ago. Was, oh, yeah, oh. yeah. John yeah. calls me up all the time, going, "Hey, do you remember this state and this city we were in? And what was that guy? And how did we do the?" Like, uh, luckily, even back then, before cell phones, I was taking pictures of everything we ever did around the country. So I go, "Ah, give me a day. I got a scrapbook somewhere." <laughs> Well, once again, folks, if you are a new haunter or you're looking at getting into the business, maybe you need to uh, meet one of these guys at Transworld and talk to them or somebody else who's been in the business a very long time because they know the secrets. And we wish you guys all the success for the 2020 Halloween season, you know, with uh, all the uncertainty that's out there. We at least know you guys are making plans to be open. But we couldn't do this also without our fantastic hosts, including Storm. Great conversation tonight. A lot of fun. Love hearing, you know, all, so much years of experience and things. And I think it also feeds. I got this disorder where I go by any vacant building. My brain's like, ooh, what kind of <laughs> haunt can we put in there? So, you know, it, it helps feel that. And I'm, I'm getting a feeling you guys are probably the same, too. It's like, oh, you know, well, what could I do uh, with that if I really wanted to? I, I even think, every, I think all every, our church, every church I drive past. <laughs> I think at this point, all of our children can drive by a, ho a house like that, yeah. and they'll just turn right to me and go, not enough parking, right? Yeah, it's the first thing I'll look at. It's not enough parking. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> also want to thank Meat Hook Jim. You know, I have to agree with Storm. You guys are awesome, um, and all the knowledge you've, you've poured out just on this short roundtable is is nothing but gold for people that are trying to get into this business and i do the same thing i drive by looking at buildings and looking at parking and things like that as well <laughs> maybe, also, maybe that's the test also would like to thank jerry vane i drove past the place in heath today that was an old abandoned um warehouse uh, i'm assuming warehouse but you know what being the fact I'm quote unquote new out here, even though it's been three years, uh, I'm looking at, I literally looked at my wife and went, that would be a kick-ass haunted attraction because you literally have a walkway going between one building to the other. But having said that, I thought doing what I do is a pain in the butt. Oh, you guys can have it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. The soundtracks. Mm. There you go. I'll stick to the music. You guys can have the headaches. A walkway or a stage? Ooh. Walkway. This was a walkway <laughs> way too high off the ground. My name is Drew Badger down in Charlotte. I see old abandoned buildings in Charlotte all the time thinking the same thing. So we're going a perfect four for four here. So no complaints about that. Once again, folks, this is the Roundtable of Terror here on the Big Scary.
Are you looking for a comprehensive ticketing solution for your haunted attraction? HauntPay has the answer. We skip the features you don't need and focus on the ones you like, such as timed ticketing and repeat time slots, variable ticket types, bundle and combo tickets, social media discounts, and now featuring all-in-one options including managing your tickets online and at the door, as well as upselling and managing your merchandise and concessions with a comprehensive report on everything at the end of the night. Head on over to hauntpay.com and get started in 60 seconds for free. Dracula has risen from the grave. Boy, does he give a hickey. Welcome back to Insanity Hall. Demented our logo on the big scary show. You know, it's another month, June, yay, more fun challenges with COVID and that type of thing. And, you know, I was popping around, see what stories are out there with Halloween and stuff. You know, some some things getting canceled, some, some things being planned, you know, seeing how it goes. Then I came across an article 
of a mother writing about how her children aren't going to have a Halloween this year. Yep, she's already made up her mind. This is, you know, and been taking some of the precautions. Some people would think a little bit much and stuff, you know, that the, you know, the, the families and stuff who haven't done anything, who've only stayed in the house and, you know, prepared for that and pretty much, you know, took the full shelter in place, which, which is fine, which is what you do, you know, it's, it's, it, it's how it works in everybody's comfort zone and doing the best you can to not get sick and not get others sick. That's that's the idea. That's how it goes. But, I mean, this lady was really taking it far and has already planned out that Halloween just isn't going to happen. To the fact where she's talking about Halloween night, where they're going to sit inside and watch a silly movie with the lights off out front. So when other children come knocking in everything they'll they'll just pretend they're not there and by the end of it they'll remember past halloweens and they'll cry yeah this doesn't need to happen and you know we can help prevent that and you know there's a lot of things going even if there is a second wave or if it you know gets bad again or even if people just want to be cautious and do complete social distancing for halloween us as haunters can actually you know help out with some of this and, and do it. You know, remember when the whole mask thing started coming out and people were like, well, I don't know know how to sew. What do I do and stuff? And, you know, people were coming out of the woodwork to even help other people with it. If, people who knew how to sew were sewing masks. You know, I don't. My mother made some. She made one out of an old um, staff shirt from the haunt I worked at. So I had a hot staff shirt. Uh, mask, you know that type of thing. People, people came up with it, shared their skills, shared their ideas and stuff to make life a little bit more bearable and stuff. And that's what we're seeing with with Halloween this year and what we can do with it. You know, it's it's going to come down to, all right, you know, we might have to do a little bit more with your yard haunt. Might might even have to advertise a little bit. You know, promote a little bit more than you would a little a little earlier than you would on like social media, so that people can drive by. They can still have some type of Halloween. And you creative, you know, haunters out there who are doing stuff. The haunts are working. Be very creative out there so that they can open. Well, you know, some of us can even work and figure out how we can even have creative social distancing. Whether it's making a prop that can deliver candy from six feet away. You know, that type of thing. You know, like a couple of masks, a prop, and uh, some uh, PVC pipe tubing. You know, we, we just might have something going there. You know, if it's something where, you know, you can get somebody you know will be more comfortable handing out candy through some sort of prop or something you can build, a tombstone that drops candy or a giant gumball machine or something. You know, the amazing stuff we can do and help out our neighbors and do... You know, that's, that's part of what this is and, and how we can overcome it. And it's going to go a long way for, you know, remembering, you know, things were a little, di- you know, 20 years or whatever. Remembering things were a little different. We did this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, it might even lead to other people, you know, decorating and stuff more next year. If they see it this year, if they see props, if they work that into it so that you can have a social distancing, safe Halloween and... And, and not be the ones sitting inside crying with the lights off Halloween night. Nobody needs to do that, and we can help. So until next time, keep every minute scary. Tune in next episode for another Haunt Minute. And in the meantime, share your opinions on the Big Scary Show Facebook page and on Twitter at Big Scary Storm. Hi, this is Josh Gates from Travel Channel's Expedition Unknown, reminding you to send all hate mail to storm at bigscaryshow.com.
Once again, Frighteners, welcome to yet another edition of the Weister's Haunted Vista. Here we are in mid-June, what is there to say but... There's something at the door that wants to see you. <laughs> and that something would be little old me. Doesn't that just warm the cockles of your heart? Shut up! You make me nervous! <clears throat> Not likely, but picking up from last episode, we're going to continue with the horror of it all. My look at the 100 greatest films I consider for Halloween and haunting adventures in October. <laughs> And so, without further ado, we'll begin where we left off at number 90. And that would be 1953's Abbott and Costello Meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now, I get a lot of funny looks for enjoying this film. It's definitely not one of their better films. In fact, Abbott and Costello don't show up for like the first 20 minutes. But it does feature Boris Karloff in the dual role of Jekyll and Hyde, although the Hyde stunts were performed by stuntman Eddie Parker. And Karloff's take on the role of Jekyll and Hyde, his version of Jekyll is just as nasty as Hyde. He really doesn't need to shoot up any drugs to turn into a monster. He's pretty rotten to begin with. What kills me about this film is, one, Karloff, who absolutely refused to work with Abbott and Costello when they made Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, ended up doing two films with them. Not one, but two. And that included this one, and a few years prior, Abbott and Costello meet the killer. The other aspect is, Karloff is sleepwalking through this film, and you could tell he's not exactly giving it his all, and he just buries the rest of the supporting cast, minus Abbott and Costello. He plays it straight, he plays it evil, but you can tell he'd rather be somewhere else. But besides that, this is one of the more charming entries in the Abbott and Costello Meet the Monsters series that they were doing at that point, and it definitely has a lot of fun. This is one to watch with the kids for all the slapstick humor that happens in the last third of the film. It takes a while to get there, because you have to remember, this is done in the 50s. Musicals were in, and there's quite a few of those in this as well. Not to mention Bud and Lou do recycle a lot of their old bits, including Lou turning into a mouse at one point. You have to see it to believe it. But still... If you want to have some family fun, aside from Adam Costello meet Frankenstein, this one is a good chaser. And that brings us to number 89. I wouldn't be offended by a few suggestions. 
Well, then may I suggest Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 1956 original and the 1978 remake with Donald Sutherland and Leonard Nimoy. Both films describe a world being invaded by essentially plant life that can mimic animal life to uh, such a degree. However, in the transfer, the host dies and the copy continues on as an emotionless husks going through life feeling nothing. This film obviously was a parable on in the 1950s about the infiltration of communism and the loss of individuality which essentially it lost the communist angle in the remake but it definitely touched upon the loss of individualism both films have some interesting effects and some heavy messages in regards to the individual and the thoughts of being overtaken by a hostile alien force albeit from an inside view which one's better they both have their charms i really like dan mccarthy's portrayal in the first film but the remake has some really eye-popping special effects and some interesting twists and turns as well don't give away the surprise ending of the remake either and on to number 88 <laughs> Yeah, that's a little hint for you. I'm referring to none other than 1996 Wes Craven masterpiece, Scream. One of the most intelligent horror movie satires I've ever seen, which at the same time is a straight horror flick loaded with all kinds of references and in-jokes, essentially a love letter to the children of the 80s and the slasher film genre. Craven knew his stuff, and he really plays it up to the hilt here. All the while watching Nev Campbell run away from Ghostface, this psychotic, very fast-moving killer with a big fat knife knocking off all kinds of teenagers in accordance with the rules of old horror films. And never say you'll be right back, because you won't. I still get a kick out of it. The film is funny, fast-paced, snappy, and witty, and really is enjoyable. It's not for kids, there's no getting around that, but at the same time, for those of us who grew up in the 80s, it's a love letter to our past. And just for the record, all the sequels were infinitely more inferior to that original piece if they didn't have the charm, the wit, or the storyline to just carry it through. Scream 3, 4, 5, ugh. Next! Oh, Louis, Louis. Still whining, Louis. At number 86, and yes, I included that soundbite for a reason, is the visualization of Anne Rice's interview with the vampire. A dark, gorgeous, beautifully filmed, gothic piece of drudgery that can really bum you out if you watch it too often. I actually saw this in the theaters back in 94, and I was kind of scratching my head. I had run the vampire list at first, so this film kind of left me puzzled. It's very well done, slick, and as I said, the location work makes it all worthwhile. People were up in arms when Tom Cruise was cast as Lestat, even though I really agreed with the idea of Brad Pitt as Louie. But still, it works very, very well, and Kristen Art is absolutely perfect as Claudia. This is a film if you want something different, beautifully filmed, and quite frankly, quite depressing. I saw it again last Christmas on cable, and I realized what a nice piece of work it is, but at the same time, this, as it is a favorite, is still not something I would watch every day. And while on the subject of vampires and film number 85, let's bring out one of my personal favorites. It was my will. Hammer films, for my eyes, were always kind of a mixed bag. Their Frankenstein and Mummy series, while they had their moments, were kind of hit and miss. And they had a fantastic Wolfman film with Oliver Reed in The Curse of the Werewolf. For, for me, where the bread was buttered was in their Dracula series. 
Christopher Lee was magnificent as the Count, and in 1972, Hammer tried to bring the franchise into a more modern setting with the release of Dracula A.D. 1972, which brought the Count and Van Helsing into modern swinging London. Now, this film is dated. There's no getting around it. Christopher Lee does a little more than a guest appearance, but when he's on the screen with Cushing, it absolutely makes the movie. There are some fantastic moments with Peter Cushing's Van Helsing battling Dracula's underlings, and the final confrontations, both at the top and the bottom of the film, make this all worthwhile. As I said, this film is dated. There's some really kitschy musical sequences, and the pseudo-satanic rituals that bring Dracula back, well, they're laughable to say the least. But... This still had a certain dignity and air of class to it, and Christopher Lee comes across as vile and nasty as ever as Count Dracula. We'll be discussing more of him later on, but from now, let's switch our focus from vampires to zombies. Released in 2003, just as the zombie revival phenomenon was really starting to gain ground again, and this was pre-Walking Dead, 28 Days Later presented a zombie apocalypse with a slight difference. Yes, they ran, but these really weren't zombies. These were virus victims of a biological experiment gone horrible wrong called Rage. These red-eyed, shrieking whatever they were would tear you to pieces in a heartbeat, and there wasn't too much you could do about it. With a decimated London and England as the center stage, Killian Murphy gives an interesting performance as a survivor who wakes up from a coma after a car accident in the middle of, well, basically the end of the world. The scenes of London empty and devastated are really, really unnerving. The film is quite violent, and I don't recommend this for kids at all. And you add to that the scenes in the military camp, led by future Doctor Who, Christopher Eccleston, and you may question the goodness of humanity and start rooting for the living dead. A thought-provoking and quite disturbing film. You might even call it a kind of a nightmare movie. And speaking of nightmares, that brings us to number 83. I've made no secret it over the years here on The Big Scary Show that I am no fan of the slasher genre. The Hellraisers, Friday the 13th, Texas the Chainsaw Massacres, and all this sort of thing really didn't float my boat. I kept my finger on the pulse as it was going on in the horror genre, a lot of times begrudgingly as my friends were watching them and I suffered through quite a few of these flicks. And once in a while though, one did surprise me. Before Freddy Krueger became a national wisecracking celebrity, Robert Englund brought a genuine menace to the original Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984, a truly frightening masterpiece from the mastermind of the late Wes Craven, and one of his crowning achievements as well. You're never quite sure whether you're in the dream state or in reality as the film progresses. There's a lot of twists and turns, and as I said, Englund gives Freddy a huge amount of menace here, long before he became the celebrity that we all knew and loathed throughout the 80s. Hey, there's no accounting for taste. But still, this is a marked and important film in the progression of the genre, and it still stands up quite well today, and it's gory as all get out too for an R rating. I was surprised the amount of blood splattering across the screen. Interesting special effects as well too. Craven knew his stuff. 
Had Craven continued to helm films like this, I would have continued watching. But alas, we all know what happened next as England shot to fame as the wisecracking Freddy Krueger. But I'm not going to completely knock it. There's another film in this genre up on the list, but that's a story for another time. In the meantime, that brings us to number 82. <laughs> At the height of nuclear paranoia, we saw the release of Kronos, an independently made film based upon the concept of a robot scout coming from an unknown hostile planet, which is determined to absorb all sources of energy on its path. Growing larger and larger, the more energy it consumes, weapons don't stop it, absorbing their energy as well, growing larger and larger, raging the countryside as our scientists try to figure out a way to stop this invincible behemoth. Essentially a robot-on-the-loose kind of monster movie, this has a smarter plot and some above-average special effects as Kronos, which looks like basically a giant skyscraper with antenna, crushing up the Mexican countryside, swallowing all the energy from power plants or whatever else that comes into and getting larger and larger, squishing and squashing and eating. Sounds like a few people I know. Actually, for its time, it's very smart, it's very sophisticated, and it holds up very well. It's considered a cult classic, and it's well worth your time. Slash science fiction, slash horror film, it still works on a very high level. And as I said before, it has a smart script and well-done pacing, and the special effects are above average for the time. Very well worth your investment. And finally, for this episode, we come to number 81. saw the release of Taste the Blood of Dracula, one of the last of the truly great Hammer Dracula films. Christopher Lee is in full malevolent mode here. He doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but this film touches on the decadence underneath British high society and the consequences of playing with fire, in this case, a Satanist who ends up dead by three British nobles who are out for a thrill and get a lot more than they bargained for, resurrecting Dracula in the process makes some very interesting calls on morality, lies, and the cost of love itself. As I said, Lee is magnificent in this role, but it really misses Peter Cushing's touch. This was the last of the truly great Dracula films from Hammer, as I said, and it does not disappoint. By this point, Christopher Lee had tired of the role and really didn't want to do it anymore because he felt it wasn't true to the character. Alas, Hammer Studios knew how to get him and just guilted him out saying if he didn't play Dracula again, all these people were going to be out of work. And I'm quite certain Lee's paycheck helped his disposition quite a bit as well. Next time on The Vista, we'll pick up at number 80 as we continue our series of the horror of it all, my choices for the 100 best horror films for Halloween and just general viewing. But in the meantime, if you want to drop me a line and offer a comment, critique, or criticism, you can find me on Facebook under Eric Weister or drop me a line at erweister at woh.rr.com. I respond to both, but you'll catch me quicker if you look me up on Facebook. Also take a gander at my blogspot page, The Weister's Halloween Haunt Journal, full of news and reviews you can use and abuse. 
So, dear listeners, until we pick up this again in two weeks' time, always remember Sven Gulli's credo and brush your fangs, comb your face, drink your milk before it clots, bite mama goodnight, and always remember I hid the body just because I hid the body and really couldn't think of anything funny to say at this point. Do you blame me? Kiss me, you fool. Knock it off. And on a parting note, I would like to extend my heartiest congratulations to Rich Coes, a.k.a. Sven Gulli, on his 41st anniversary of the character this past June 16th. Here's hoping we get many, many more years from the man, and thank you for all the laughter and fun-filled memories you've given us. So in the meantime, you guys take care, and we'll meet here again in two weeks. Be safe until then. anywhere or anyone. Harry took Diane there for a weekend of pleasure and ended up having the time of his life. The last time. Winner of the International Terror Film Festival starring Brenda Vaccaro. Come to the house by the lake. But don't come alone. Rated R. Under 17. Not admitted without parent. Dr. Frankenfingers. An unholy citadel on the big scary show.
ready to dress up your show? Need to pump new life into old props? Just want to show something no one else has? Do what Alice Cooper, Distortions Unlimited, and A-list haunters all over the world do. Wear Von Karam. Durable, handcrafted, dependable year after year. Von Karam. When you scare enough to wear the very best. Voncaron.com. V-O-N-C-H-A-R-O-N dot com. As we slide back into the swamp where we hid the body, we would like to thank the following sponsors. Screamline Studios. Dark Imaginings. Von Caron Productions. Haunt Pay. Ticket Leap. And Creepy Collection. We would also like to thank Virgil Franklin, Master of the Ether Muse, as well as the Fordga hosts, including Storm, Rants and More, HauntMinute.com, The Unknown Scare Actor, Actor Trainer and Traveling Actor Troop. For more information, check out MaulMonsters.com, that's M-A-U-L Monsters.com. Drew Badger, Actor Trainer and Consultant. Find out more at rabidbadger.org. And Jerry Vane, the Haunstrumentalist, for all your heavy metal and haunt needs. JerryVane.com. And finally, you, the listener. Without you, we are nothing. The Big Scary Show is copyright Big Scary Show LLC, and no rebroadcast of this show may be made without express permission of the owners. All music used on The Big Scary Show is used with expressed permission of the artists themselves.